All right, we are back. On last week's program, I started to tell the tale of um, my adventures in uh, public radio. That is to say, the world of national public radio. And I would note that at this point in time, I have a few adventures to tell tales of. What I was referring to on last week's program specifically was the passing of the Jeffrey Callison era at Capital Public Radio on the Insight program. I took exception last week to the slighting of some people who should not have been slighted. And frankly, I got a lot more to say about the Insight program and my participation in it. But Mr. McMillan informs me that we are running short on time. So I'm going to defer that to future programs. Except to say that in regard to some adventures over there, I'm reminded of the old saying that you can do a heck of a lot of good if you don't mind who takes the credit. I think that comes from Harry Truman. And just would add a little addendum that if you're obsessed with who takes the credit, sometimes a lot of harm may result. And I'm not referring to myself in this particular case. And on that quasi-cryptic note, let's move on. You know, we advertise this program as a show about science, technology, politics, current events, history, and whatever we damn well please. But sometimes we don't do enough technology. At least I do think we could be criticized for that. But I was fascinated by a little blurb on technology in New Scientist magazine, which I think I need to quote from. The piece refers to a sculptor named Dwayne Valentine and a work of his titled Gray Column. It turns out that uh, what is Valentine's largest sculpture, Gray Column, has never been shown in public, at least not at a public gallery, but will do so in March of this year at the Getty Center in Los Angeles. But I'm more fascinated by the technologic aspect to this than the actual art. Because, noted Casey Rince in New Scientist, during World War II, the Germans had a secret formula for fiberglass. They used it to make fast, lightweight boats. British intelligence stole this formula and handed it on to American manufacturers. And by the 1960s, Fiberglass and its ingredients had been co-opted to make things like surfboards, cars, and artworks. And it was in Los Angeles that uh, Dwayne Valentine experimented with the material to devise an entirely new recipe. The artist had spent his career sculpting plastics and acrylics, salvaging scraps from aircraft plants and melting and carrying them into geometrical shapes. By the early 60s, he was unsatisfied with the restrictions of his media, and he wanted to make something monumental. Apparently, he wanted to use polyester resin, the main component of fiberglass, because it had the perfect optical qualities. In large chunks, it had a magnificent semi-transparent sheen, but it couldn't be shaped in anything larger than a car tire without cracking. Refusing to concede defeat, Valentine, with the help of a local chemist, resolved to find a new formula through trial and error. So each month, along with his scientific confidant, Ed Reve, Valentine took home drums of liquid polyester resin and added a dab of pigment and a smidgen of catalyst to start the curing process. He meticulously recorded the room temperatures, amounts of each ingredient, humidity, and mixing speed, and had journals that looked like lab notebooks. Eventually, coached by Ed Reve, he found the right formula and was able to mold his first large-scale resin shape. Anyway, if we're down in L.A. between now and uh, the end of this run on March 11th, we'll, we'll try and check this out for you, dear listener. And here's a terrifying item you may have glanced over but may not have fully grasped. 
It was noted last month that a government advisory board was asking scientific journals not to publish details of certain biomedical experiments for fear the information could be used by terrorists to create deadly viruses. I didn't read this in much detail myself, and when I did, I was very disturbed to find out that what we're talking about is bird flu. The H1N1 bird flu, which made a lot of headlines and is still making headlines as occasional people get it and generally succumb to it, it's a pretty scary virus because it has a very high death rate. Luckily for humanity, uh, human beings seem to only contract this from contact with birds. This is not gained in the usual human-to-human transmission method. But luckily, of course, scientists in the U.S. and the Netherlands have been trying to figure out how to make bird flu that can transmit person-to-person. And apparently made a great deal of success in this area. Someone decided it might be time to step in and not publish these results because with biotechnology being what it is, some crazy might be able to uh, replicate their work. Now, of course... Bioweapons are limited in their ability to do any good since they come back and infect the people that loose it upon the world. But in the hands of a genuine doomsday cult like the Om Shinrikyo in Japan that loosed sarin gas in the Japanese subway a few years back, well, if you want to really end it all, you know, some apocalyptic type uh, uh, finish to the planet Earth, to planet Earth, well, boy, person to person bird flu would be a good way. No, it wouldn't kill off all of humanity, but it'd create quite a stink along the way. So, you know, although we're not in favor of censorship in general, this government advisory panel, the National Science Advisory Board for Biosecurity, asking science and nature, two of the world's premier uh, science journals, to not publish this information is probably a smart idea. All right, we appear to have about three minutes left, so let's, uh, let's take something from the, the weird file. Another item I would add from our 10-year-old collection of oddities. And please, dear listener, do not do this while driving. But if you're otherwise sitting, do the following, and I'll do it with you. Start making clockwise circles with your right foot. Okay, doing it? While doing this, draw the number six in the air with your right hand. (laughs) What happens? Yes, your foot did change directions, didn't it? You were going clockwise, but to make the number six, you have to inscribe a counterclockwise circle, which makes your right foot then follow your hand's lead. We cannot explain it either, except to note that it is not due to the Coriolis effect. Which leads us, I think, to close with the great Tom Tomorrow's This Modern World. I think we snatched this one out of the Sacramento News and Review, which does bring you Dan Perkins's This Modern World on a weekly basis. Panel number one. Man says, in retrospect, I suppose we should have been slightly more skeptical about the case for war in Iraq. His animal companion says, no question about it, mistakes were made. Second panel. And after 10 years of war in Afghanistan, I'm starting to suspect that we should have thought that one through a little more carefully as well. To which his sidekick says, we'll just have to try to do better next time. There is silence in the third panel. In the fourth panel, the man says, you know, 50% of Americans think we should go to war to stop Iran from developing weapons of mass destruction. We're done. The sidekick says, 
Sounds perfectly sensible to me. Then there's a mini fifth panel saying, 10 years later, man, that certainly was a mistake. Final item, and we really like this one for its good news quality. In what's being described as a public relations jackpot for the United States Navy, an aircraft carrier cruising the seas in the Middle East last week stumbled upon an Iranian fishing vessel in distress, having been hijacked by pirates. According to the article by Craig Whitlock and Jason Uchman in the Washington Post, forces from the aircraft carrier's strike group quickly made the most of the moment. They seized 15 Somali pirates without firing a shot and rescued 13 hungry Iranian fishermen who'd been held hostage for several weeks. And, of course, despite the wasn't that a good thing to do, wasn't that the right thing to do, the article notes there was no official response, much less a thank you from the Iranian government, which I guess was the whole point of it all, wasn't it? A way for the U.S. to show that we're cooler than the Iranians. But you know what? Good came of it. Our military forces did a good thing, and it's just, you know, hard not to feel good about a story like this, especially in the wake of, you know, the items like Task Force Cruising in Arabian Sea Outside a Gulf of Hormuz. 16 men on a dead man's chest. Yo, ho, ho, and a bottle of rum. We take what we need and the devil with the rest. Yo, ho, ho, and a bottle of rum. We're mean and we're ugly and we're not too nice. Yo, ho, ho, and a bottle of rum. We burn and we pillage and we don't think twice. Yo, ho, ho, and a bottle of This program was produced by Edward McMillan. Our thanks to author and political activist Jerry Polikoff for his comments about Rick Santorum in Pennsylvania. Hopefully we won't be returning to that topic. Live and learn. But on next week's show, anything's going. We're going to go back to our archives and pull some of our favorite moments of the past nine and a half years as we celebrate Radio Parallax show number 500. Our thanks, of course, to the good people at KDVS for making this all possible for almost 10 years. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. We'll see you next week at the same time and have some fun looking back. You've got swords and muskets and other bad stuff. Yo ho ho and a bottle of rum Our legs are missing cause we're so darn tough Yo ho ho and a bottle of rum Black beard, blue beard and purple beard too Yo ho ho and a bottle of rum There's plenty of colors left over for you Yo ho ho and a bottle of rum Sixteen men on a dead man's chest Yo, ho, ho, and a bottle of rum We take what we need and the devil with the rest Yo, ho, ho, and a bottle of rum